This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. Whenever I knew it was an agent and I knew if I would have just pitched them, you know, the rental, uh, you know, just the rental pitch of me using it as an Airbnb, I don't think they would really be interested in it for, and I realized that, you know, they weren't, they were kind of just like, well, you're going to, you're trying to make money on, on the, my land, my client, no way, hang up the phone. Um, I've gotten cursed out by agents. Like this is not legal, hang up the phone. So I had to really, uh, you know, figure out a plan. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Bigger Pockets. Today, we have an awesome guest, Gary Hadida. He is a 21-year-old real estate investor based in Southeast Florida. Gary is a full-time real estate agent and short-term rental arbitrage investor. That term has been thrown around a little bit on this show. Our first guest ever actually, Ed Gomberg, is a real estate specialist in the field of Airbnb arbitrage or short-term rental arbitrage. But for those that do not know what that means, it is pretty much as simple as this. You rent a property uh, from a landlord, from an apartment complex, and then you re-rent that property on Airbnb. Why is this a good way to get started or make money? Uh, the first reason is it requires much less than a typical investment to get started. For most people, to get started in short-term rental arbitrage, it requires less than 5K to get down, meaning you're just putting down money for a security deposit, then maybe furnish the unit depending on the size, and then you may have to get insurance, something like that. But pretty much within 5 to 6K, you can get off the ground. Uh, that leads to the second benefit, which is the cash flow on short-term rental units uh, or specifically through Airbnb arbitrage can be much stronger than a traditional rental. And in these cases where you can figure out what parts of the market are good and what your average nightly booking cost would be, you can in some cases cash flow up to $1,000 a month on a property that you do not own yourself. So that's the second benefit. The other benefit is it protects you against the risk of a downturn, meaning if you buy a property, you're stuck with it. If something goes wrong or the market downturns, you overpay and you're in trouble. With this strategy, you can just give the keys back at any time. You are a short-term renter from a landlord, let's say, so you only have a 12-month lease. And let's say you can't fill your property on a month-to-month -month basis. What you can just do is give the keys back, sell the furniture, move the furniture into another unit, and you're pretty much done with it. So those are all the pros. Uh, the cons of doing this would be if Airbnb or short-term rental gets regulated or becomes illegal where you are doing it. Uh, another con would be if you're inexperienced in the space, it's very easy to underestimate your cost. 
meaning you think you can rent it for a thousand and then on Airbnb, you can get 2000. So you think, Oh, I can make a thousand dollars. But there are a lot of costs and fees that I even had to learn about as I got into the short-term rental space that you don't factor or consider when you're turning units more things break if they replace stuff, cleaning fees or just replacement costs for getting service or techs in things like that. The price is higher and property management does cost more for short-term rentals. Um, so overall, it is a really interesting strategy and Gary gets into it and a couple other of our guests have talked about how they use the strategy to be successful. But uh, I think it's a great way actually for any, any investor, it doesn't matter how much money you have starting or how much experience you have, I think it's a great way to get in and start experimenting with short-term rental space. But particularly for beginners who don't have that much capital built up, it's a great way to get involved because you can start cash flowing without owning and you don't have to worry about bank loans either. So worth checking out. Uh, as I said, Gary gets into it, gives a very uh, detailed breakdown of how he thinks about it. The two things that stood out to me from this episode were how Gary prospects for neighborhoods on Airbnb. Like how does he know this neighborhood will yield uh, a high nightly booking rate and a high price that'll make sure he's cash flowing above his rents. And the second thing that stood out was how to find cheap furniture or how to furnish your properties under budget uh, for any type of property. That's the biggest thing. And I would say Airbnb arbitrage is trying to figure factor what your cost would be. And that's a huge expense. If you have to furnish a unit, you think it's going to cost 5,000 and it costs eight or nine, uh, right there, you're probably going to be operating at a loss for a couple months and just trying to get back to even, uh, as opposed to the way Gary talks about it. He's able to find uh, a lot of furniture from either off market sources or from wholesalers. And it's, something that I'm going to be using now going forward. So really interesting stuff there. Today's tangible tip is virtual assistants in general. Uh, we'll talk about in other episodes and other quick tips, I'm sure, how I use or leverage virtual assistants, but it's just such a great tool that now over the last couple of months have been dedicating more virtual assistants to different parts of the business. If it's something like data scraping from Zillow, if it's something from video editing, uh, but the sites that I typically use now are Upwork or Freelancer, a great investor uh, follow for the virtual world space. His name is uh, Neil Bawa. He is a syndicator, but he built out his entire business based on virtual assistants that he hired full-time from Upwork. So now after listening to him talk about it, a couple of different times and seeing how he operates with them in his business, I've tried to do the same on a very small scale and add them to my business. So as I said before, they can help with stuff like underwriting deals, analyzing deals, analyzing neighborhoods, cold calling, sending direct email, sending direct mail, um, organizing your day, scheduling your appointments. These are all things that you can outsource for three to $6 an hour that you may hate doing, or you may just not have time to do. So they kind of get swept under. So that's today's quick tip. I recommend getting on Upwork and giving that a try. So without any further ado, awesome episode today with Gary Hadida. Gary, what's going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Well, man, thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, uh, week of this recording is April 17th, a lot going on in the world. So uh, curious to hear what you're doing these days, because I've been seeing you a lot on Facebook, staying active, uh, doing a lot, especially for young guys. So I think you're a good fit for what this group and audience is kind of thinking about. Um, before we get into anything as far as day-to-day, COVID-19, how you're staying busy, mind just giving our audience a little background on yourself, 
where you live, how old you are, how you got into real estate investing, all that fun stuff. All right. So 2013, uh, my dad, uh, he was huge in real estate. Uh, 2008, I, I think I said 2013, but 2008, when the economy was, you know, booming real estate, then it all crashed. My dad actually had a lot of property and I was always curious about it, but I was very young. And then since 2008 crashed, I mean, it was, it was really bad. Um, my mom, one morning, she just said, uh, we have to move. I was confused, didn't know what was going on. And uh, after that, we pretty much lost everything. I had to move. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't have no idea what was going on. So then I got, I started as an entrepreneur, got into the shoe business. Uh, my dad gave me a hundred bucks. He said, uh, cause I wanted to go to a shoe show, a shoe event. I'm not sure if you know what those are. Like, you know, like people collect Jordan. Okay. So, uh, 2000, that was like 2009. I was about four, 14. He gave me a hundred bucks to go to a shoe show. And then I just started a sh massive shoe collection. I was like 14. I had like a, a $10,000 shoe collection from a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. So then I just learned the grind of having to, you know, buy and sell and just being an entrepreneur. And I just fell in love with it. And ever since that, uh, from the shoes, I got out of the shoes though. Cause uh -huh. it got pretty ugly. Uh, people were killing people for shoes. It's pretty scary. So I didn't really want to get into that anymore. Um, then after that, I didn't, I was actually like a really big nerd. I got into like, to, I was huge into school right when I got into high school and I was like a troublemaker in middle school. So, uh, was like in all honors classes in the beginning of uh, high school from ninth to 10th grade. And then after that, I just said like, this. I, I hate school because it was just like no reason for me to do so good in school, go to a college. And then I just realized, you know, what's the point? Right. I don't have to work for someone. I want to work for myself. You know, I, I love being an entrepreneur. So from uh, junior year to senior year, absolutely just really never went to school. Uh, really just did not like it at all. I, uh, then from, I was kind of like lost junior, senior year. And then I go into college. I go to a state college in Gainesville for, to go into transfer to UF because I was kind of just, everyone was going to colleges. So I just didn't, I wanted to kind of like follow the path. Biggest mistake I've ever made. Um, I literally one month into class, I stand up, I tell my professor I'm leaving. <laughs> I can't do this. We were learning about like sentences and right. so stupid. Uh, so I literally don't even tell my roommates, pack up, go back home to Boca where I'm from. And I go to a, a Miami Dolphins game and no, I no idea what I'm doing with my life at this point. Uh, 19 years old. I, yeah. 19 years old. No idea what I want to do. So I go to a Dolphins game, craziest thing ever, leave the Dolphins game. But while I'm leaving the Dolphins game, I find like 3,600 bucks on the floor. It's pretty, the craziest story of my life. Hmm. I'm freaking out. So then I just take, obviously take it, go home. Uh, and then from that point on, I'm like, all right, I got to do something. What do I do? I decide to open up an online casino. <laughs> so now I'm, a, now I'm running an online casino 
um, 19 years old, no college, nothing. And, uh, you know, I reach out to a lot of big gamblers. Uh, and I really didn't have the money to back them up, but I was just saying, let's, let's gamble. Turned out unbelievable and uh, made a lot of money. Then one day I get a call uh, from the police and I go into the room, a detective's room with three detectives. They're hitting me with questions and they just literally say, we know what you're doing. Stop right away. Like we're getting, a, we're getting a lot of phone calls from people's moms because I was out booking kids that were in high school. Right. Uh, like from ninth to 10th to 11th, I've got phone calls from mothers, dads. Uh, it was a pretty big uh, book book. It was like sports bets, online casinos. Sure, sure. And I was actually having live casinos. It was like over a hundred kids on the book. And then wow. from that point I stopped, took my money. Uh, and then I opened it up again just for like these big guys. Uh, it was ruined really well. And then I put, I got really big into stocks, like day trading and stuff like that. And did really well with that. But then when I was doing good with the stocks, my book, the, all the people, the big gamblers, they were crushing me. So I go from like about $100,000 to literally zero in like three, four months. So now I'm like completely broke. And okay, so then I thought I was, you know, had no idea what I was going on, what was going on in my life. So I literally lost everything. And then I just decided, hey, you know what? I like being an entrepreneur, like, uh, you know, working with people. Why not try to get my real estate license? So I got my license. Uh, like it took me like four months to get my license, longer than usual. It only takes about a month usually for people to get their license, but uh, get my real estate license. And then uh, just, oh, but before, but, but when I was in that like lost time where I, where I went completely broke, I was like really depressed. And I was, one time I was at my apartment with, at my, like, when I was a bookie, it was a nice apartment. And I was just sitting at the pool one day and this guy, he's like, you know, 30 years old, he's doing, he's like jumping in the pool, doing laps, chugging beers and like drowning himself. I guess when you go underwater, you like test your breath. Crazy story. So then I'm like, Hey, everything all right with you, man? Like, like, you all right? And he's like, yeah, uh, I'm just very stressed out. Um, I do this Airbnb uh, type of thing where like I lease property, I rent properties and I re-rent them. And I was so confused with what he was doing. And then I was like, I kind of understood it. And then I'm like, is that even legal? And he was like, yeah, you know, if you get with the city. So the next morning, I'm so, so curious. Next morning, he takes me out to his property, shows me around, tells me about everything, fall in love with it hmm. and uh, fall in love with the idea. So as I'm now I get my real estate license, I have this plan. What I want to do, I want to do the Airbnb. I'm so excited about it. And so I pretty much just get on the, get my license, get the MLS and, you know, I just hunted for properties, uh, rental properties. And sure. I was cold calling every day for clients, for real estate, for sales, for Airbnb, literally the first three months. And now I've had my license for about five months, six months, the first three months of having my license, it was just all cold calling every single day from like 
nine to four, nine to five. Sometimes it got really bad, like nine to seven, nine to eight. And, you know, it's been, it's been unbelievable. I mean, cold calling has literally changed my life. Wow. Okay, cool, man. There's a lot to dig into there. So thanks for the background. And uh, I think there's a lot of parts that one, uh, people are going to be able to learn from, from your story and then stuff that you're currently doing today, people can apply. So just before we jump into anything, I'm just curious, you said your dad had a big real estate portfolio or he's big into real estate. What kind of real estate was he doing when, when he was at his biggest or when he was, he was doing, doing a lot of um, apartment units, rentals, yeah, rentals, buying, and then just, you know, remodeling it and uh, renting it out. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so, okay. You said a couple other things there about Airbnb, short-term rentals, then you got your license and then you started brokering, you're working for clients. So when you first started, it sounds like you had two sides. You had the agent business and then you had what would probably be your side hustle and your own investment of Airbnb, what is now known as Airbnb arbitrage, right? Mm -hmm. Renting and then re-renting. And I know that's the space that you play in on the investment side. So at the beginning, were you cold calling for the Airbnb or are you cold calling more for the agent side or how did you balance the two? And like, what was your a typical day in the life when you were first getting started hustling and prospecting and doing a lot of outbound? Well, yeah. So I knew I needed to have money uh, and I really didn't have much money. So at first it was all cold calling for real estate for sales. So as soon as I got, you know, my first client, my first sale, my, you know, rental deals for friends who had to, you know, get apartments and stuff like that. So I had to build some money and, you know, after my first few sales and my rental sales, I had enough money and I knew which one I wanted to go for. Uh, you know, I had it already. It was, you know, in my first one was in Pompano beach. I'm, it's about 15 minutes away from me, right, right by the water to duplex. Uh -huh. You mean which unit you wanted to target for Airbnb arbitrage? Like you knew which one you wanted, which would do well on Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew like, cause when I was, before I started, I, I kind of, you know, I was studying a lot, you know, where I wanted to do it and where there was like less competition. Like before I even got into Airbnb, I knew my, what my plan was because of, you know, I was doing a lot of research and studying before I even got my license and before I even started because of that guy I met at the uh, pool. Just going back to that guy, common theme on the show, people that change their trajectory or they start doing things a lot faster. It seems like this guy, one, he showed you the idea, but then maybe it seems like he helped you the next day. He was taking you around, looking at stuff, maybe mentee mentor relationship. Do you still talk to this guy or why do you think he did that at the beginning? Well, um, I mean, he did it honestly because, you know, he re he was an unbelievable, really nice guy. He was going through, you know, a lot of stress, uh, he had a few Airbnb units and he was going through a lot of schoolwork as well. He was a, he was a Marine. He had, he told me he had uh, PTSD. Uh, he was in the Marines for wow. like nine years and he was, had a lot of schoolwork and he was doing a lot of, you know, Airbnb. So he's very stressed out, but he was a really unbelievable guy. Took me under his wing for about a week. And I, I we don't really talk much anymore. He doesn't do Airbnb anymore because uh, of a bunch of schoolwork and stuff like that. But we still communicate. We still kind of talk here and there. If yeah. he ever, he, he reached out to me actually a few weeks ago and said, Hey, I'm getting back into the game. Uh, I know you're a real estate agent. If you ever want to sit down and talk and show me some properties, we go look at them. I said, yeah, no problem. Cool. Okay. The reason I ask it just sometimes you hear it becomes like your mentor and they, that's the person you oh, latch yeah. onto, or in some cases it's just the start. They introduce you to something and then you take it and run with it yourself. So it sounds like that's kind of what happened here. Yeah. And so like just, 
Okay. So for those that don't know, like there, this has turned into a big industry and a big business. Maybe it's not as mainstream yet, but people are doing it and it's very, uh, it's an easy way for beginners. A lot of people that listen to this show do it, or some people we've had on or all Airbnb arbitrage, just for those that don't know, Gary, can you give a quick like high level of what the concept is and how it works and why people make money doing it? Yeah. I mean, pretty much this is, it's very simple. I mean, you literally just, you rent a property from an, an owner, a landlord, you become kind of their tenant, but you guys agree that instead of being just a tenant, you're going to sublease it and use it as a Airbnb rental property. And you're going to have vacation vacationers from, you know, all over the world come and use that property. Yeah. You make money on top of the rent. So let's say, you know, you're paying $2,000 a month. You just take your day rate and then just try to make more than that. Sure. Got it. So I do want to get into the actual like prospecting side of it and how you hunt for these. And if someone's listening, how they can get started. But I think part of that also stems from the research that you do and knowing or not knowing if this area will be successful as it is. So it sounds like before you started prospecting, it sounds like your process was this, make some money as an agent, get some rental listings, maybe some sales, maybe some contracts. And then from that, parlay that into funneling funds, into doing Airbnb arbitrage, securing leases, furnishing places, and then building up your cash flow monthly. And then you can kind of ping back and forth between the two. So for someone right now that's maybe got that first step figured out, they have some income, they're looking to put in uh, to the game, they're starting investing, but they're just not sure what markets or they see an AirDNA calculator that says, okay, you know, West Palm Beach looks like a good market, but it's neighborhood by neighborhood. So before you start doing outreach, what type of tangible research are you doing or what advice do you have some, for someone that's looking right now on Airbnb and seeing top listings and saying, okay, I think I can replicate that. What advice would you give to someone to see, all right, this could be a good option for a neighborhood or not, or what types of properties in this neighborhood are good? So what do you look for in that? Well, I'll just kind of give, like kind of do what I did. Um, I didn't really do much research, like, you know, actually like going in and looking at data and stuff like, like things like that. I just kind of just knew that, you know, being in, being growing up in South Florida and, you know, knowing my area so well, uh, you know, Pompano beach is not the nicest area. Um, so I knew that I was able to, there's a West side of Pompano, obviously, and there's an East side, there's an East side and there's a beach, a beautiful, there's actually like a really nice beach, but the West side of it is pretty bad. So I knew that, you know, I could get a rental property there for pretty cheap because the area is not good. And I could attract a, a lot of vacationers because they don't know Pompano Beach as an area. They just, they will see it on the pictures as there's a beautiful beach over there. And you know, the east side of it is nice where the property is actually located. Uh, and they don't really see the bad side of it. If you kind of understand what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. I mean, people coming in, not really sure. So for you just starting out, I mean, you kind of knew you grew up in the area. So you knew regardless of maybe which side of the tracks it was on, which would, it would do well regardless. It sounds like if you dressed it up or people from outside looking in, were just looking for a place to stay or was there more that you did? You're, telling, like, you're asking like how I was able to get, you know, how I was able to get bookings and stuff like that. No, no, just like research. Like, cause I think a lot of people, their barrier to entry trying to do Airbnb arbitrage is okay. So what's everything is a process, right? Like, to prospect for something, you're not just going to pick up the phone and start calling blindly. You need to know like, all right, is this area worth calling? 
or is this area profitable potentially? So like for people that are, let's say maybe sitting on the sidelines right now and, and thinking about doing this and they're thinking, I don't know how to identify areas. I don't know how to identify apartment buildings or houses or landlords. How, what steps can they take to actually get smarter about an area and then know which specific buildings or landlords or blocks are worth prospecting for. So then they can start taking action and then actually executing on prospecting. Yeah. I think if you're looking for property and you want to know, you know, what, what you could get kind of from the property and you could kind of run numbers before you even get it and study the area. What I did was, I mean, I just went on, you know, I was a real estate agent. So, I mean, for other people in the public, just go on Zillow and, you know, just search your area that you potentially think you want to start in. uh, And then, so let's just say, you know, you're looking at a city, go to that city on Airbnb and just kind of compare it. And once you kind of get an idea of what that property could go for, start running the numbers and start, uh, you know, start running the numbers before you call that owner. And, you know, if he's, agree- if he's agreeing to it, then you have your plan and you have your whole thing that you know what you're going to say to him and, you know, you can work out a deal really quick. Got it. Okay. So in, in, in this model here, let's say, okay, so I think what you're saying, and for those that haven't like played around on Airbnb yet, it's cool that you can go on and you can see top places, you can filter stuff, entire place, price point, how many guests, all that. Then you can see what their availability is. You can go in and look at their actual calendar and you can tell by what's blocked off, yeah. how many nights they're booked or not booked. So depending on that, I mean, Corona or COVID-19, it might be not so as relevant as normal times because a lot of places are canceled or they can't have people. So, but in normal times you can see someone's calendar and say, okay, they're doing well or not doing well. So just on that model there, are you, you hear different approaches to it. Like the people that follow Sean and Airbnb automated, he's got a lot of good content out there. And then there's other people that are doing either um, like different styles. So for you, and he's doing apartment complexes, are you typically reaching out to apartment buildings or landlords or management companies? I guess who is your ideal uh, like prospect as you're doing research? Yeah, definitely. I don't like to do apartment um, units, but you know, something that I was curious to get into was uh, apartment buildings, just having the whole building, but not into that yet. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but for now um, I just focus really on, you know, contacting landlords or, you know, agents obviously because they're representing the landlord for single families and duplexes because I don't like to have, you know, my like random tenants, year long tenants with vacationers because it's just a whole, it's a huge mess. I don't recommend it. Uh, I recommend just going for the duplex and the single family and just having it completely vacant. Got it. So in that case, if let's say someone had a duplex, you don't recommend them having one side being a traditional rental and the other being short term. Yeah, I don't recommend that at all. I just recommend using both of them for vacation units for Airbnb. And if someone's having one of the other units, I wouldn't even, I I would recommend probably not having, getting it, Mm -hmm. but you know, if it's your only option at that point, you know, definitely grab it, but uh, try looking for both vacant units for the duplex. Got it. Okay. So just taking this in sequence, it seems like the research part of it, you can do from looking at Airbnb, you can maybe use AirDNA, which is just another tool to get kind of data. But if you learn an area, maybe talk to brokers or drive it, and then see what people are doing, what the vacation trends are, you can probably get an idea. So, I mean, people can go out and do that. Uh, just now, I guess, getting into the actual prospecting part. So how do you find 
places that could be good options for this? Are you just going on Zillow or I know you're an agent, so you have the MLS, but are you just looking at rentals and then flipping through them, seeing that they might meet, meet your criteria and then just calling or emailing? Yeah. So, um, what I would do, what I would do when I'm looking for a property is, um, I would go to, you know, my area, like a, that, that part, Pompano beach, Deerfield beach, you know, that's the part that I'm in. And I would just, you know, it has to be obviously by the water. Um, and what I really realize is that it's a lot easier, um, when you're searching for properties, uh, even on Zillow, you could see this, um, there's, there's days on the market of how long it's been on the market for. And if you go to a, a property and you see it's been on the market for 300 days, it's going to be a lot easier to grab that one and persuade them to use it as an Airbnb than something that's been on the market for two weeks or a week. And uh, you can also negotiate a better deal when the property's been on the market for so long because, you know, the landlords are starting to get desperate and they need to get income because their vacancy costs are going crazy. Got it. Makes total sense. So they're a little bit more maybe inclined to work something out as opposed to someone that's newly hitting the market and they want to test the waters a little bit, which makes sense. So, um, okay. So let's say just like walking through this sequentially, you find some listings that are maybe over a hundred days, but you think, and again, this might be a perfect scenario or might not be, but you find some places that you're going to start to prospect into. Like they're maybe for rent by owner, maybe they're listed with a, an agent, whatever. And you have the listing. What's your process and what's your pitch? Like either if you get someone on the phone or email or like, how do you think about like the touch points for, giving yourself the best chance to actually get one uh, booked and get one confirmed? Yeah. So, um, you know, most, pretty much all, most of the time it was all meeting with the agent. Uh, I have about seven. So five of them were meeting with the, or four of them were meeting with the agent. So I'll give you kind of when I met with the agent and then with the owner. Uh, when I met, when I, whenever I knew it was an agent and I knew if I would have just pitched them, you know, the rental, uh, you know, just the rental pitch, of me using it as an Airbnb, I don't think they would really be interested in it for, and I realized that, you know, they weren't, they were kind of just like, well, you're going to, you're trying to make money on, on the, my land, my client, no way, hang up the phone. Um, I've gotten cursed out by agents. Like this is not legal, hang up the phone. So I had to really, uh, you know, figure out a plan. So really good idea. What I did was I, started saying, you know, I really obviously like this, really like this place. Um, I would like to see it. Are you able to show me it? And they would go and show me the property. And I would, if it worked for me, I would say, okay, I want to take it. But there's a small contingency. I mean, there's a small contingency that, you know, I wanted, you know, and obviously I would get along with the agent, kind of make friends with the agent or and all that. Yeah. Just trying to build a relationship with them just because, you know, I kind of need them on my side here. And you know, I was a real estate agent as well. So what I would do is, you know, I would first just tell them what I wanted to do, um, you know, and it would work a lot because just meeting them in person, talking to them, getting them excited, knowing they're about to close a deal and get commission on it. And then just hitting them with, you know, I want to use this as a vacation Airbnb. Uh, and I would just lie to them and say, Hey, uh, you know, I have a lot of recommendations and, and all that. I mean, cause it was my first one that I really needed to start. And, um, they were kind of, they kind of said no about it. And then I kind of said, you know, it's tough for other people though, people that are not real estate agents. I just said, I'll let you have my commission. You could totally have all of it. Uh, I just wanted, cause I needed to start. And, you know, then they were all for it. They persuaded the owner and 
that's how I got my first one. But then after that, I did the same thing for with agents. Uh, but you know, I had a lot of what do you um, reference? I had a reference, and I had an actual you know Airbnb platform. I would just show them, and I would just say, you know, I'm I'm taking care of any damages that are in the house from the agents, um, and you know things like that's pretty much what happened. And then with the owners, on the owner side of persuading them, I literally just called and uh, I targeted the ones that have been on the market for a while. And it was, it was so much easier, really no uh, stress at all or no, they had a few questions like who's going to pay for this, but you know, just say that you'll take full blame for obviously anything that the tenants, your tenants do. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's really, that's really it. I mean, yeah. that's no, it makes sense. hundred percent. That's um, a really good overview and you hear different approaches for different sides of it. Do you, it seems like, going direct to seller is easier. Oh yeah. So much easier. Uh huh. Got it. And, and like for you, when you're prospecting or when you were then, uh, maybe compared to how you are now, how many calls or emails or touches or units do you think you need to try to touch to get one like under your, your belt? You know, like, do you, do you know a number? Is it for maybe every 10 people I ask, I get a maybe or 10 people yeah. I ask, I get a yes. Anything like that metrics wise? Yeah, I think every like, every 10, I've, every 10, you probably, it's probably like a 10% success rate uh, that you'll actually, because once I feel like I get, you know, the agent, um, once I go there, because it kind of changed once I've changed out my strategy of meeting them, the actual agent, it's, it's been so much more successful. And right that is a huge, that's a, a lot more successful. I don't really know the number, but it's a lot higher than just calling and telling them, Hey, you know, I'm on the phone. I'm, I'm just like some random guy wanting to use this property as an Airbnb. It's just that way compared to the new way that I'm doing. It's just a whole change. It's a game changer. Yep. Gotcha. So that makes sense. So right now, bring us up to speed. What do you have now? What's your current portfolio look like? So I have seven um, listings seven units, seven units, um, about, uh, two of them are single families, uh, beautiful properties, million dollar properties. And then the, um, other ones are, uh, duplexes. And then one of them is a unit in a quadplex. And I absolutely, there's always problems with it. And I Definitely never going back to that, doing that, getting a unit in a quadplex, and I don't recommend it. What are some of the challenges you're dealing with on that? Just there's parking problems. Um, you know, I obviously write to the guests that you can only use one parking spot. They don't listen. Um, they're making noises, and the, the people in the other units are complaining. I've got already two complaints from the landlord. The landlord called me. He said, one more, you're out. Wow. Um, and, uh, I don't know if been that, that pretty, just noise complaints and parking complaints and, uh, things like that. What advice would you give to yourself if you were starting again today, knowing what you know now? You're, so you're pretty much saying what advice, but I would give to myself if I was starting out, you know, in the beginning. Yeah. Which, knowing, knowing what you know now, if, you, if there was anything you would change or say, do this or don't do this um, other than the, the one unit and a four unit thing. Cause that okay. sounds like the obvious one now. Yeah. Don't, don't get too excited when you know you have a, when you know you have a deal uh, going and, and try to work out the deal 
as best as possible and don't just get too excited that you know you're going to even make money on the deal that you have now. Try to get as greedy as possible and never, uh, you know, don't, don't just say, hey, he has, their, he has his number and don't agree to it just because, you know, you want to start already. Kind of have leverage and when you negotiate, be patient. Got it. So, okay, now that you've gotten a couple of properties under your belt, seven, and you were scaling at the beginning. So like as you were scaling, um, what were, were there any challenges that were unexpected? Things that maybe you were just learning as you go? Like maybe I didn't expect that I need to get all the furniture. The furniture cost more than I thought, or I wasn't getting as booked as I thought, or, you know, just missed in expectations from what you thought before to after you actually started and you were operating stuff you learned. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, furniture was one that, uh, kind of, it was very expensive and, uh, I didn't, I didn't know about those, like how much, you know, things started adding up because like once you, it's not even furniture, it's really just things like, uh, you know, the basic needs in, in houses, like, um, you know, just, I wouldn't really just like basic things in houses, like, you know, decorations and TVs and furniture and um, paper towel, toilet paper, all those things add up pretty quickly. And, you know, you need to, you know, lower those costs because, you know, that's a major cost in the business. Uh, and what I did once I learned, um, I found a uh, wholesaler for furniture and all that type of things uh, for, for it. And that immediately, you know, cut my costs and tremendously and helped out a lot. But that was one of the first things that uh, my biggest mistake was, um, you know, spending so much money on TVs and furnitures and decorations and stuff like that. Uh, and then, so when I said, once I got the wholesaler for the furniture, I just started going to Goodwill and buying uh, nice decorations and things like that. And if you just hunt at Goodwills, you'll find so many things and go to garage sales. You'll find so many things for so cheap. And you just have to grind and just save as much money as possible. Love it. That's really good advice. Goodwill, I wouldn't have thought of. Uh, how did you find that wholesaler for someone that's out there, maybe overpaying for furniture right now? How can they find someone to maybe cut their costs? So it was my, from my first deal that I made that I made the mistake on. Um, I, I got too excited on the first deal. And, um, you know, I was paying a, when we were negotiating the rent, it was completely unfurnished. And, um, he obviously said, I see said, all right, I'll charge you an extra three, 400 bucks a month for the furniture and I'll furnish it, which is crazy because, you know, that comes out to like $6,000 for the year. And the furniture in those, in the unit was probably like, I don't know, 1500 bucks at most. And, um, I called him and I said, Hey, who, who do you get your furniture from? And, uh, he gave me the number. And ever since then, he's been, you know, my guy, uh, good, like, you know, good, he actually became a good friend of mine. And then, uh, he, he, uh, furnishes all my properties. But what I do is now, because I know furniture is so expensive and it's a huge cost is when I'm looking for properties, I try to obviously see properties that are kind of furnished already, which is very, it's easy for me because of the MLS I have access to that. And I could kind of filter that in. Right. So that's a, that you can filter by that on the MLS if it's furnished or not, but on Zillow too, I think, well, it may not have a furniture setting, but people can ask the question like the ones that I've added that are short-term rentals, they were pretty much furnished like 60% and then just the finishings. But 
even so I can totally relate to what you're saying that if young people that are getting into this who have never furnished a home before, you will almost 100%, I assure you, be low on your estimates for furniture. Oh, yeah. Everything adds up, like tables, little yeah. lamps, little little yeah. settings on things. Like you just look at a room and and it's missing stuff and then it's another 500 bucks. Like yeah. so that sort of stuff. That is a good tip actually. The wholesaler one, but then also people that are doing this, I also recommend if you're looking to prospect for places, if you're just getting started, it may help if you find places that are pre-furnished or partially furnished so that you don't get crushed with these extra unexpected costs. And then your first year, you may not be making money or your first two years. You know, the way that I think about the furniture cost, like a lot of investors is you amortize it over the, the time that you're going to yeah. be having the place. So if it's, you know, 1200 bucks, it's a hundred a month that you're basically losing from your cash flow. So kind of an easy way to look at it. So for someone that's comparing this to, to traditional rentals right now. Um, oh, and also one thing I would oh, also yeah. want to recommend is um, if you don't have, like if you can't find anything like furniture wise, uh, if you can't find a wholesaler for TV, like anything like that, uh, Facebook marketplace too. So that's huge. Are you on there a lot to buy and sell stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I'm looking for, whenever I get a new property, that's really, I use that. And just Goodwill and then my wholesaler, Facebook Marketplace Goodwill and the wholesaler and just posting on my social media like, hey, anyone selling a TV? And <laughs> people swipe up and say, hey, yeah. Like, <laughs> Got it. Uh, one last thing before we just move on to, uh, I guess, like the comparison and the day-to-day and like what the actual numbers look like. I, I know a lot of people out there, they're also, one of the reasons they don't get into this is because they don't have decorative experience. They don't know how to furnish a place. They don't know how to make it look good or maybe match the area uh, because like with a regular rental, it's just a box. They'll furnish it however they want. It is what it is. So like, was that something that you were challenged with at the beginning and then figured a way out? Like, how do I make this place look good or show well, that sort of stuff or any tips for someone that's really not sure how to start that? Well, um, I kind of did struggle with it at first, but from being, um, you know, in, in real estate and, and just being on the MLS every day, I kind of got, you know, a better idea, you know, for it. So, um, you know, I kind of just, it, it wasn't, that wasn't really much of a challenge. Uh, and for when people want to, you know, advertise their property and they get, you know, their furniture in there, uh, you have to use professional photography. I mean, that's a must. Mm-hmm. Uh, drone shots. Because, you know, that's how they're going to book it. They're going to be booking it online, looking at pictures, and you have to have the best possible pictures uh, to compete with some of the big guys in your area. Yep, makes total sense. However it's going to show is really how it's going to book. So that makes total sense. So again, for the people that are comparing this to traditional rentals, buy and hold or whatever, um, do you mind just talking about the financials of some of these properties a little bit? What the typical rent is versus what your typical... Airbnb or um, I forget the acronym, the uh, uh, daily booking rate. And then maybe what you're, what you're expecting the cash flow on these, like what, what a minimum deal that you would consider doing cash flow wise would be. Like you're being like my, like actual like net profit on. Yeah. The- yeah. Like, like, you know, I guess is, can someone expect to make significantly more than a rental doing it this way? And if so yet like how or how not, and then maybe what would be like a minimum number that you'd be expecting a cash flow that would be worth doing a deal for you? Uh, um, yeah. I mean, if you compare this to a typical, you know, year long uh, rental, I mean, and you compare it to 
and a vacation rental on Airbnb, the numbers are obviously going to be a lot higher for the Airbnb, but there's going to be a lot more work that you have to put in if you don't hire someone, you know, to do it. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're someone, if you're an owner and you have six property, 10 properties right now as a landlord and you're just doing basic leases, uh, I would definitely consider, uh, you know, hiring a property manager and then just using it as an Airbnb because you're just going to make so much more money. And, so, oh yeah, go ahead. What were you saying? I don't know. Go ahead. I just like more about it. Like what are, what's a typical profit for you on a single family that you would hope to make? You know, I think for most people you hear a common rental number, cash flow number, maybe it was coined by bigger pockets is if you're buying and holding something and you're cash flowing 200 after all expenses and you can pay yourself 200, you're doing pretty good or 300, which is you know, conservatively low, but I just have a feeling. And from my experience with short-term rentals, the spreads are a little bit bigger. So what would be a cash flow number that would be worthwhile for you to actually consider taking on? Yeah. Um, so I'll just kind of give you what I, what I'm paying on, or, you know, honestly, like if I'm, if I have to, if I'm getting a lease for, you know, $2,000 a month, um, if I'm not taking home at least, you know, after my f- expenses and stuff like that, you know, 3000 at least that, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Um, just because of, you know, I know how much work I'm going to have to put into it and, and how much stress it's going to cause me. Uh, so I wouldn't do it for that. Um, and I, I kind of just really look at, you know, doubling my profit, um, every single month and, you know, obviously before expenses and then with expenses, you know, anywhere from like a 45 to 50% net profit is like my number that I need. And that's when I know it's a, it's, you know, it's a full on, you know, go. So you mean if it's, let's say just revenue wise using round numbers is a thousand dollars. If you see that as being, are you saying 40 to 50% over your rent? Is that how you know it could be profitable or something else? No, 40, 50% is what I really target. Uh, that's, what I use, you know, that's kind of what the numbers I aim for when I know I want to get this property. Sorry, just, I want to make sure I understand 40 to 50% of what? Of my, you know, like, let's say rent is a thousand bucks. I want to be able to profit 1400, get in 1400, 1500 bucks at the end. So I'll make 40 to 50% profit. Oh, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. So over what you're paying. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay, cool, man. That's, that's really good. So we kind of just dug into like the concept of how you're doing it. And I think for a lot of people that's helpful because they have heard of this concept or maybe they've never even been exposed to it and maybe they're thinking they can jump in and then kind of to your point, they may totally miss on their expectation of costs or they may be buying in the wrong area. So you address kind of all those things of how do you find the right place? How do you prospect for the right place? And then how do you furnish the right place? And then operating it. I guess just the last, last thing before we move on and then kind of go into the, the show wind down is, is there any best practices or tips that you've learned or would recommend to people that are actually operating an Airbnb that maybe they finally got one under, they got it furnished, they're putting it out there on the site and they're trying to make it do well or they're trying to figure out how to, how to interact with guests properly. Any tips on just like operating it? Yeah. Um, you know, to get the first thing obviously is, you know, you need to get bookings and, uh, to get bookings. What I, what I was doing was in the beginning, it's, it's tough because you know, the Airbnb algorithm, I guess they say, uh, when you're starting out, it's, it, people don't really see your property as much as like a super host or someone that's always getting booked. 
because it obviously makes sense. Airbnb doesn't want to put someone at the top or someone when, you know, they're, they're not really getting, making money from the one that the big ones are making money from. So what I was doing in the beginning, when they first started out, I put my rates obviously way lower because I needed to get those reviews. I needed to get those bookings. I needed to have, you know, um, that rare find it, all those sale, extra things, uh, they, they help so much. And I, I would definitely recommend putting your prices lower in the beginning to start out to just get your feet wet. You learn so much. Um, and then obviously with your clients give, obviously they're never wrong. It sucks. If you have bad ones, you just got to bite the bullet, but just give them everything and just do everything for your guests. Um, or if, you know, once you have too many properties, it's obviously tough to do that. But, you know, anyone that you hire to do that, uh, make sure that that's what their main focus is, the guest. Cool. Okay, good answer. You ready for the show wind down? Some rapid yeah, fire one, questions? Yeah, one, one thing I want to say is um, in single family homes uh, are definitely the most profitable for me. Full homes, not part of a duplex, not part of an a HOA or, or townhome or condo, just single family homes. Single family homes are definitely the most profitable. So, Okay, cool. Good to know. Do you think that's the same for every area or Airbnb in general or just yours? Um, you know, I can't really talk about other areas because I don't really have much experience, but I know in my area that that's definitely the most profitable. Okay, got it. Cool. All right, let's move to the, the quick hit wind down, man. You ready? Yeah. All right. Um, you hear it a lot. People talking about groups are associated with you're at the average of the top five people you're around. Uh, anything you do for networking, masterminding, any coaching groups you're part of, anything like that or any way that you think about the people you surround yourself with? Yeah, um, I don't really surround myself really anymore with the people I hung out with uh, a few years ago or a year ago. I, I'm really just focused kind of on myself and, uh, you know, definitely don't go out as much. I really, I don't really go out anymore. Don't really talk to as many people as I did. And that's just kind of, you know, one of the uh, things that you have to take in with being and trying to be successful. Uh, you know, you have to really focus on yourself and your business. Uh, you can't have really both. It's tough to balance. Very tough to balance. Do you have any uh, system you use for time management, how you plan your weeks, how you plan your days, any ways that you set aside time for prospecting or client management? Yeah. Um, before all of this happened, uh, the coronavirus, I was definitely, you know, I kind of had a schedule where I was just, um, you know, 8 a.m. to 12, I would just focus on kind of my Airbnb business and getting everything organized for my cleaning service and, um, you know, my, my manager. Uh, and then from that point on, I would just handle kind of like the real estate, the calling and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, just touching up base with all my clients and, uh, you know, just looking at the market for real estate and just, just looking, just doing that. And then, uh, I mean, outside of that, I would just finish up around four o'clock, 12 to four on real estate and then just kind of go to the gym, I guess, and just, you know, free up the mind because it is very stressful. hundred percent. What are your favorite websites, apps, tools, softwares, CRMs, anything like that that you have on your computer or your phone all the time open to help your business? Um, yeah, def I don't, I don't really use those softwares that you're talking about. Are you talking about like Airbnb softwares that kind of just, I'm talking like it could be a CRM to track leads. It could be G suite to keep track of communication with people. It could be, 
a software that you use to you get calendars aligned, anything like that, really? Yeah, I'm not too, I'm actually, it's one of my downfalls. I'm not too organized on um, having a system, uh, you know, in place that has all my clients. I'm not, I'm not too big into that. And like, you know, running out like all my profits and my numbers and things like that. I don't really use that. I wish I have to get into more. If you could maybe, you know, show me the ropes on some. And, um, but I just, you know, I'm kind of like, just use the MLS app that I'm constantly looking at the Airbnb app that I'm constantly looking at Verbo app. Uh, I'm just kind of always, always like literally obsessed with just looking at my competition and just trying to make, you know, my Airbnbs, my things better. Uh, that's huge. I'm just always, always, always looking at the market. Yeah. And then one, I think it's an obvious one. So maybe it gets overlooked, but Facebook, I think you're using Facebook for a lot more than just a social network that people oh, yeah. go on and just flip through kind of like, to waste time. You're using it for business. Yeah. Yeah. I'm using it a lot for business, uh, for the Airbnb chat. I'm and on Facebook, which I actually got suspended for because I, people thought I was using, uh, trying to help people to make money. Uh, Sean suspended me for two weeks. I reached out to him, no answer, but, uh, yeah, I guess they, 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 uh, reported me for trying to use that platform as to make money to help people out, which is kind of crazy because, you know, I'm just trying to help people out and I get hurt that's odd okay well that's weird i didn't see that so yeah, sorry to hear that two weeks okay well we'll fight on in your honor um what's next for you man 2020 and beyond where do you where do you see your business growing to i know it's a little hard to say with covid19 but what are your plans uh you know i'll just say this before 20 before the covid19 kind of during it i mean i was just really literally was, I'm, I'm right now still just going all in on myself. Don't care about really many other people. Uh, just changed the way I looked at things. Uh, but before the COVID-19, I had a $1.5 million uh, deal that was pending. Uh, and for the, with the buyer, with my client, and he knew that I was going to use it as an Airbnb. So that would have been a life-changing deal. Uh, because I would have, you know, it was a quadplex, would have had four more Airbnbs units, and I would have made the crazy amount of money on the commission sale for the property. That fell apart because of the COVID-19 buyer pulled out, uh, which was devastating. But, you know, just using it as motivation and just, you know, continuing doing what I'm doing. And my goal is to have uh, 50 properties at the end of 2020, and I think I can make that happen still. Okay, that's awesome, man. When you say... So he, it was, it was for sale or it was for rent all four units? No, it was for sale. Uh, he kind of reached, cause I was using his, one of his properties I'm using as an Airbnb and he's like, Hey, you know, I really like what, what we're doing here. Let's look for something. Hmm. I just said, Hey, what's your range? What, what are you looking for? He said multifamily unit, uh, about 1.5 million. And, uh, I showed him something. The first thing I showed him, uh, he literally said, okay, I just sent you a pre-approval for 1.5 uh, put the offer in for like 1.4, uh, we got accepted. And, uh, about two weeks before closing, the COVID-19 came, P panic pulled out and devastating. So the plan was he was going to buy it and have you do Airbnb for the four units. You were going to be his tenant for the four units. Yeah. That's what was going to happen. So it was just a double dip. It's great. If you get the commission and then you can have the relationship and okay, that seems like an awesome model. I know this one fell through, but 
it sucks. You know, it's the yeah, that that is the absolute nuts. That's the greatest thing ever uh, when you could really find a buyer as an agent and then um, you know double dip on it, and make profit on both ends from the realist from the commission and from the rental. That you know, it's funny. Um, I feel like people that look at this stuff long enough, they realize that exact model is like the best way to control what's happening because I didn't think about it from that side because I'm not an agent, but I was thinking about it if I found, let's say on or off market deals and I brought it to someone in my network and said, Hey, this could be an awesome investment property for you. And I'll be your first tenant and I'll be an Airbnb tenant. So you're kind of bringing them something turnkey because they might be a first time buyer, not sure how to actually use an investment property. And you're bringing it to them kind of with like training wheels. And you're saying, Hey, you're going to get cash flow for two years, guaranteed tenant. I'm going to control what goes on there and you know me. So it's mutually beneficial. So that's really interesting. It sounds yeah. like you found it kind of just on the, the agent side as a way to double transact. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing, really focusing on now, but it, it's obviously so hard, but um, I do have uh, a deal pending right now for that exact scenario. Uh, he's, he's buying the place as an investment and then he's just completely remodeling it. And uh, he's still debating whether to use me as uh, you know, the tenant and, because it's a complete different area for me. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I'm working on another one as well, but for a lot smaller, for about 200,000 uh, single family house. Got it. That's interesting. And for any agents out there getting into this, that sounds like maybe a good way to double dip and also work with a warm relationship. So it's really interesting. Um, what are your favorite ways to stay educated? What platforms and who do you follow on those platforms? Yeah, Sean, um, yeah, he was a big, a big person I really watched. Uh, he taught me so much. Uh, I don't really watch him anymore because I've really just learned a lot on experience, but, um, yeah, Sean was the number one guy I, I used to watch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, you know, do much of, I, I have to read more. That's one thing I have to do, but, uh, um, yeah. I mean, Sean is really the main guy that I watch videos from. I don't really watch too many videos uh, on Airbnb. I'm, it's kind of bad because I believe that, you know, what they're saying, I, I kind of already know. So who's Sean for those that don't know? Sean uh, Racket. But I don't know really how to pronounce his last name. You know? yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't uh, know if anyone yeah, does. You can find him on Airbnb as Airbnb automated. He pretty much, he's uh, a, helps with, He's a coach on Airbnb, has free YouTube videos, and they're unbelievable. They're spot on uh, on how to start pretty much just what I'm preaching, how to start as an Airbnb host uh, in today's day and uh, everything that you should you know, do and not do as a, to start as an Airbnb host. And if you watch his videos for a few days, you'll literally pick up the whole concept and, and run with it. 100%. We'll post all that. He's the same person that I've followed for a long time and connected with. Uh, what are some hobbies and interests, man? Fun stuff you like to do when you're not doing real estate. Um, big, big uh, football fan. Uh, Miami Dolphins. So season ticket holder. Nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, always going to the gym. And big, uh, I love playing basketball. Play, do that as a hobby. And, big uh, curb your enthusiasm guy <laughs> so pretty good watch. i like it me too if you're either uh from long island or florida it hits a special place so uh that's cool man all right good stuff where can people learn more about you what you're doing your content find you on facebook connect with you 
Um, I know you're trying to put out some help and value for people. I've seen you offer it many times. So uh, what's the best yeah. way for someone to connect? You know, I just really like what I do. You know, I really love it. And, uh, you know, it changed my life. So I want to help change people's lives. And uh, you could find me on Facebook at Gary Hadida, H-A-D-I-D-A, Hadida. And uh, on Instagram, I am looking at, you know, making an Instagram just to help people on starting Airbnb. Uh, but you could follow me at Gary Gets Deals Done. It's kind of a real estate page. Um, it's, it's a me page just for real estate and for Airbnb, but I think I'm just going to make a separate Instagram platform, a uh, new Instagram, just focusing on Airbnb. So you could find me on Instagram on Gary gets deals done. Cool. All right, man. We'll link all that. And uh, Facebook, I see you on there all the time. So mm-hmm. that's an easy way uh, for someone out there. It's the last question of the show that the goal of it is to try to connect people with you that can maybe bring you some value, right? I'm sure you get hit up a lot or people in the industry, will you be my mentor or can you help me or this or that? So a a thing that we hear a lot on the show is to try to be value add before value ask. So if someone was looking to maybe learn from you or get around you or bring you some value right now, is there anything that maybe you need help with or you're struggling with or you should be doing, but you're not doing that? If someone reached out to you to try to help you with, it would bring you some value right now to start the relationship. Um. That's a good question, actually. Uh, an accountant. I think I would need to get in touch with an accountant as soon as possible and, and kind of just, I'm really lacking on that. And I really don't have much knowledge upon that because like I said, you know, I was doing an illegal casino business, all cash. And now I'm doing a business where it's all on the books. So don't really, I need to learn that uh, aspect of the business. And that's so important. So, yeah. I hear you hundred percent, either learn it or outsource it, man. I don't know. It seems like you got a good thing going. So Gary, man, appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate you putting all the value out there in the world you do on social media and Facebook and just trying to help people. So uh, before we jump, is there any parting word or last thing you want to just say to the audience out there before we hop off? Um, no, I mean, that's, that's really it. Just, uh, you know, if you have a goal, just go after it and don't, don't look back and just completely crush it. And, uh, who cares what people think of you just, just completely, you know, go for it and go all in on yourself. And I promise you'll be successful. Love it, man. And how old are you again? 21. Love it, man. Got a long way to go. Got a long <laughs> runway ahead of you too. So Gary, appreciate it, man. All the best. Uh, keep crushing 2020 and, uh, and beyond, man. Hey, you millennial millionaire, do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan. 